don't see that here on my screen just to let you know. So maybe you'll take a look at that. This is just a little bit of a warning today. It's uh, saw this this morning on Facebook. There's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. I'm going to try not to hold you all hostage today. I've also sworn off of saying names from the pulpit because we do record these things now, so I'm not going to mention that Darlene Taylor put that up. I, I wouldn't do that, but she's here today, and I wanted to just poke on her a little bit. Anyway, it is a long sermon, but it's a, ah, just a wonderful sermon, and it may be a shorter sermon. I don't know. It'll be God's sermon. So, Lord, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would just take control now, take the thoughts that you fired into my brain this week, and, Lord, make them coherent, make them clear, Lord, that we can understand love. We can understand your love and how you designed it to be in the Bible the way that it is. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're studying this morning, again, it's not following here. Uh, that's okay. Is agape love. This is agape love. Greater love has no man than this, than if a man lay down his life for his friends. Uh, is there some way that this could advance. I don't know why it's not here. I mean, it's not advancing on my screen. So it's hard for me. To, yeah, Jason's going to pull that. So while he's doing that, I just want to say love is a tricky thing. It's a tricky thing when we talk about it because love can mean so many different things, can it? You know, we've heard, remember the Beatles saying, all you need is love. But what exactly did they mean about all you need is love? You know, I love fried chicken. Is, is, is love all the fried chicken I can eat? Let's just see if that'll work. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, but this morning, what I'm going to look at is what Scripture tells us about three basic sub uh, subjects. And one is man's love for God. What kind of love does God expect us to have for him? That's really what I'm saying in love's, in God's, man's love for God. Sorry. Secondly is man's love for man. How are we supposed to love one another? Jesus said, by this, all men you will know that all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So what is love in one, what is loving one another? How does it look when it's lived out? So we're going to talk about that. Third is going to be God's love for man. That's probably the one that we're really most familiar with. That's what we just sang about. I just feel like I felt so much. I sent so much the presence of God. God's presence is always here. I want to make that clear. I think, but sometimes we get so in tune with it, we realize, wow, he's really here. He's listening. He's, I'm participating. I'm worshiping. Can, can you get an amen there? Someone amen. amen. I felt that this morning. So we're going to look at this, the big idea today, and I can't pick on the usual person here because he had some stuff to do and headed out. The big idea is that God's love, you all, is unselfish. It is a love that never lets go. It never quits, no matter what. And it's a model for us and how we're to love him and also how we're to love one another. This is a God-like love that is an agape love. It is unselfish, and it expects nothing in return. It is very, very hard for my human little mind and my human little heart to love this lady down here and not expect something back. It's just the human in us wants to expect something back, a hug or a or a chicken dinner, or just some kind of response. Why are y'all laughing about a chicken dinner? Apple pie. Apple pie, something. But just that's not the way God's love is. It's a love that is an unselfish love that expects nothing in return. And that can only happen 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot love that way in ourselves. I cannot. I don't have the power to do that. But he that is in me has that power and gives me that power to love and to love in a way that is an amazing way. I began by thinking about words. I love words. Y'all know I'm a word nut. Today is a word deal. It's a, maybe a grammar lesson, but with a, with a great spiritual message in it. Where did this word love come from? All right. For those who are not linguists or studied languages, the language that we speak now is not very old. Do you realize English is only about 500 years old? Really? You can go back a thousand years and sort of understand it, but it's pretty much the same as Dutch at that point. But in our language, our language before our language was called Proto-Indo-European. You go, wow, I've never heard that. That means that what we speak is connected with even what people in India speak. Did y'all realize that? Many of the words, when you count, you see, and you can recognize that they look a lot like what our European language is. There was a strip that went right down from Europe to India, passing through Iran, which also Persian is an Indo-European language. So the language we speak is related to the language that the Persians speak. They're not Arabs. They don't speak Arabic. They speak Farsi. And what's Farsi? It's an Indo-European language. So we've heard some of y'all might be German speakers. You're like, ich liebe dich, I love you. Lieb, love is, comes up as lieb. And the word origin of it, that lieb, which would have been the word 5,000 years ago, ends up being in words we have like libido. Everybody knows what libido is. It's desire. Belief. Belief is in that. Isn't that interesting? When you believe something, there's a certain love for it. Leaving, like I give you leave to go do something, that's from the same word, love, and then lovely. So what did the European root mean? You go, well, what does this have to do with me? It's going to have a lot to do with you if you just hang with me here. It meant to care for, to desire, or just to simply love the way we know loving. English is limited. If I say, wow, I love my wife, and I love Dunkin' Donuts coffee, that's two different kinds of loving, isn't it? How about if I say, I love my doggy and I love God? They're really kind of, isn't that odd how limited the English language is, okay? The other languages that some of us speak, some of us in here are Spanish speakers. When we say, I love something, what we're really saying is, I want it. Isn't that interesting? Janie's laughing. If I say, Janie, yo te quiero, what am I saying? Literally. We say, I love you, but it really means, I want you, okay? And so, gosh, that's all about me, isn't it? When you think about it, uh, it's, it's just odd. And then we also say in Spanish, when we like something, we say, it pleases me. In many languages, say things that way. Uh, in the Irish language, we say, it gets, puts happiness on me, okay, if I like something. So it kind of is me-centered, all right? God's love is not a me-centered kind of a love. Guess where love is first mentioned in the Bible? This this is a mind blower. In Genesis 22, verse 2, God, by his design, decided to put the word love into the Bible for the first place. And here it is. <clears throat> God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Who's he speaking to? Abraham. He says, take your son, your only son, your only begotten son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the Moriah area. Why were they going to the Moriah area? Because Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, his only son. 
So the sermon today starts at Mount Moriah, and it ends there as well, which should at this point put make your hair stand on end, should give you goose pimples, goosebumps, because it began at Mount Moriah, and that's where it's all going to end, right there. It in, our salvation was right beside Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, you'll learn in the end the rest of the story, where it is. So in my paraphrase, he was saying, Abraham, take your son, your only son. Let's put in now the lieb, the lube, whom you cherish and have great affection for, and go to a place where you will be tested. In fact, I'm going to test you by asking you to put it all on the line by loving and cherishing me even over him. That was an act that was to be done. I heard as a young married man, John Bassanya was preaching a sermon I've never forgotten. There's about five sermons I've never forgotten that people have preached. One was about that Cairns that I told you all about. John Bassanya got up one day and he said, love is something you do. Love is not something you feel. And everybody's going, well, I argue with that. I have really felt love before. We'll talk about that in a second. But love is something you do, and God shows us his idea that love is something you do right in this first place where he introduces the word because we see an action taking place and not just something that Abraham might have felt. In fact, I'm sure Abraham felt quite contrary to what it was that God was asking him to do. So what are those colorful blocks, Pastor? Those just simply say the word ahava. Ahava in Hebrew is just simply love, okay? I have told you all wrong. I'm going to make a confession over the last few years because I read some bad instruction, I believe, and I investigated it this week. Ahava does not have the, the term in it to give, okay? I told you before that the word is embedded in there, and I've talked to some Jewish scholars this week, and it is not. So this is simply ahava. This word alone is not sufficient to describe the love of God unless we get more interpretation. All right. So let's talk about man's love for God. And we have the account of where Jesus was tested by the Pharisees. Oh, and I love it. And they send in the lawyer. Oh, I love passages about the lawyer. Because I know the lawyer's going to get the best of Jesus because he is smart, right? No. Jesus, time after time after time, puts the lawyer in his place. Some of y'all would have liked to put the, your lawyer in his place or her place. You don't have to amen that over there. But when the Pharisees, when the Pharisees, yeah, it's still there, heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, one of them, a lawyer, they thought, let's get this guy. He's the smartest guy on our debate team. Let's go now, and he's going to pose the question, and we'll get him. That's, that's what lawyers call the gotcha question, okay? And he said to him, testing him, saying, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, he's going to quote him what all of the law sums up to be. This is the big idea, okay? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord. He says, ahava in there. I'll show it to you in a minute. You shall love the Lord with your God with all of your heart. That means with an undivided heart, not with half of your heart. Don't be a one kneeler. Be a two kneeler, right? Love him with all of your heart, not half, with all of your soul. That's your personality, everything that you are. And then love him with all of your mind. In the Hebrew, that goes to what he has given you as your time, talents, and treasures. Okay? 
This is the first and great commandment. Jesus continued and says, the second's like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, my mind, my linguistic mind began to wonder how I know that's in there, but where is it in there? This is it in the Hebrew, all right? And that right there, this is called the Shema Israel. Hear, hear O Israel, Shema Israel, okay? This is Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then Jesus goes, and thou shalt love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So what's the word that God put in here to use for that love? Ahava. There it is. It's a, it says va, ahava. Va just means and in Hebrew. So you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your means, it says in there in the Hebrew, with all your means. It also means with all of your very. Remember when I've told you all that? With all you are, all you have, with your means. And then he goes on, and then he adds in the scripture out of Leviticus. So I was curious, how did it go from a hava, and how did it get into Greek by the perfect design of God? Sorry, guy filming, I strayed off there for a minute. How did that happen? What happened was in 250, around there, B.C., Jewish scholars got together. There were 70 of them, and we call what they made the Septuagint. Y'all ever heard of the Septuagint? It comes from Septuaginta, which in Latin just means 70. And this is how they interpreted it. I'm showing you the actual text. They knew Greek. They had forgotten Hebrew as their first language. They spoke Greek in their homes. They only heard Hebrew when they went to the synagogue, okay, or the temple. Stay with me here. They had a 1,000 years of looking at God's text, and when they went to translate Ahava, Look what they put it as. That's agapeses, agapeses. This is here, O Israel, the Lord your God, this is in Greek, is one. Okay, he is. And you will love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, as yourself. So with their knowledge of Scripture, they said there's no love like God's love. We've got to define this a little bit better and we're going to call it agape love. Are you all with me? This is really interesting. I've never seen anybody else put this study up. It's something that the Lord just put into my heart to see what it was and how it got translated. So they went from what we saw in Deuteronomy written in Hebrew. Jewish scholars in mid-3rd century B.C. said, we're going to write this all down in Greek because it's what we're speaking now. And wow, there's no word like any word that we have in our language to express the kind of love that God has for us and that we're to have for God. Agape means an unselfish love. It doesn't exist in Spanish. It doesn't exist in probably Russian. It doesn't exist in Gaelic. It doesn't exist in any other language that I've ever looked. There's no designation for an unselfish love. At this point, you're saying, Pastor, help me. This is all Greek to me. You're supposed to laugh at this point. It's all Greek to me. You're giving me a grammar lesson. No, I'm not. I'm giving you a lesson about how the mind of God is transmitted to us through the glorious scriptures that he's given us and how he used the Greek language, which had a term that those smart Greeks had come up with that they thought, wow, this is a love like no other love, a love where you just love somebody and they don't want anything back. No other language has that. 
But God knew that, and he, in his majesty and in his foreknowledge, chose to express himself in the New Testament, what we call the New Testament, in the Greek language. I get excited about this. If you can't tell right now, I'm on fire. I'm on fire talking about grammar. Isn't that insane or crazy? So don't say, help me, Pastor. It's all Greek to me. It is Greek, but you got to go with me here. So what exactly is agape love? When you use that to mean loving God with all your heart, you love God in an unselfish way. You don't love God just because of what you're going to get out of God, okay? God is saying, just love me because of who I am, because I love you and I've created you, and you're special to me. And as I said, it doesn't fit into any other language, all right? And I said here it, that those Jewish scribes were finally able to get at, that's described, the kind of love that was a divine kind of love. It is a God kind of love, and it's only defined in the Greek language in the word agape. And I've looked at a lot of languages, y'all. It may be out there somewhere, but I haven't found it. So we're to love him with a unselfish love and a pure desire that is not born out of trying to get something out of God. I know some people have gone and bought a lottery ticket. They go, Lord, I... I'm going to buy this lottery ticket, and, and if I win this lottery ticket, I'm going to give you 10%. You never hear him say, I'm going to give you, Lord, 90%, and I'm going to keep 10, right? I'll cut you in, Lord, all right? That's trying to love God with some kind of a condition attached to it. And it, don't, don't go out of here shamed if you've prayed that prayer. I've prayed similar prayers. Lord, help me get this deal or do this thing. Or but It's just because we're humans. It's just what we do. So here's how I would render this. Lord, you are God and I am not. I put myself into your merciful hands. And Lord, I submit myself to your sovereignty. Your will be done. When I got sick, I don't know that I ever prayed to be healed, but I prayed that, I said, Lord, let me just accept your will for my life this year when I got sick. You know, we've had a crazy year. Tim and I added up. We've had eight deaths. Do you all realize that? We've been involved in eight Funerals, memorial services. It's been a year. 2020, we thought it was something. 2022 has been the, the cap on 2020. But anyway, we're going to say, Lord, we love you. In spite of that, we're gonna, and we've helped people really into heaven. It was a great privilege to be with Paul Flukiger Thursday. Thank you, Nick Adamo, who's not, not here. Sorry, I didn't mean to say a name. Thank you, who let me know where I could go and lay my hands on him and love him at the end. It was kind of funny because when all that was over, he says, I want a Coke. <laughs> Remember how you used to always have a Coke on Wednesday night? I just kind of thought, wow, that should be a Coke commercial, you know. <laughs> so, an agape view of that great commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall unselfishly love the Lord your God. These are my words. With an undivided heart, with all of your being and personality, and with all that he has gifted to you. And love anyone. Who is your neighbor? Sometimes we hear these teaching, your neighbor's five people. No, it isn't. Your neighbor is anybody you come into contact with. That's what Jesus was trying to tell them. Anybody out there. Everybody. He says, and you love anyone with whom you come into contact with in an unselfish way. In the way that you cherish and love yourself. That's what that's saying to us, that great commandment coming out of the Greek. I thought it was interesting because as I studied this, this whole idea of loving your neighbors yourself, I decided to look on some Jewish websites. And I found one about loving yourself when I popped it up 
where there was a rabbi named Rabbi Akiva, okay? He was born in 50 AD, 17 years after Jesus was crucified. He might have heard the, the disciples talking about Jesus. And on the Jewish sites, they said they think he was a Gentile that converted to be a Jew. And I thought it was interesting because what he said, and they still quote him today, is this is a fundamental, loving one's neighbor is a fundamental, all-inclusive principle of the Torah. Thus, loving one's neighbor is huge in the mind of God. If we're to love God selfishly, how exactly then are we to love one another? The clue is it's going to be using that as a guideline, man's love for man. Wednesday night, Brother Scott told us all about all the different kinds of words that there were for love in the Greek language, and I appreciate that, and I'm not going to go through that today because I'm honing in on, on the love that is a God-like kind of love. Now, we've all had that kind of love where your heart beats out of your chest. You can't hardly breathe when you're around somebody. And you know why that is? Because when you're around that person, the reason it feels so good is you feel so enough. Have any of y'all felt so enough with somebody else? You just feel like, God, they love me for who I am, right? You're so accepted. You have this value and worth that are these meeting these needs that you have. But that's kind of a selfish love. Back to that again. So how can we love unselfishly? What does the Bible say about loving one another unselfishly? How about loving strangers? How about loving neighbors, right? And Jesus, again, gets confronted. And I don't know if this is the same. I went to a, a biblical scholar, my wife, and I said, is the incident, and I usually call her or, or the other theologian that's in our congregation, and I said, is the incident in Luke 10 the same as the one in Matthew 22? <clears throat> she says, that's a good question. It doesn't matter. So anyway, it doesn't matter. We're just going to assume that it's a different thing. So this guy comes again, a lawyer, and wants to trick Jesus and catch him. And he says, I'm going to ask him what's the greatest commandment, and we're going to see how he answers me. And then we'll guide him. So anyway, but he wanting to justify, oh, and so he ends up telling him this whole story. Well, he's, no, he starts off, Jesus quotes him again, the Shema Israel. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. He goes, that's okay, Rabbi, but who's my neighbor? He wanted to get out of it. He wanted to wiggle out of it and figure out who is my neighbor, and then I don't have to worry about this. And Jesus answered him with this. He didn't tell him who his neighbor was. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Don't you love it? He tells him a story. And he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down the road. And when he saw them, he passed by the other side. I, just, I love that. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came and looked, and he passed over to the other side too, kind of getting away from the problem. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed where he was, and when he saw, saw him where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. This is a Samaritan. The Jews thought Samaritans were those kinds of people, you know. So he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an end, took care of him, and on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was the neighbor to, 
to him who fell among the thieves. He's telling the lawyer, who's the neighbor? You tell me. And he said, the lawyer said, the one that showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And that word for mercy is, you'll see it right here in the Greek, and I have it in the Hebrew. The word in Hebrew is hesed. Y'all have all heard hesed, haven't you? Okay. And I went to look at how that was translated also in Greek. I went back to look at what the 70 Jewish scholars said. Hesed, all right, if you put hesed and you put it with ahava, then you kind of get agape, agape, all right? The Jews didn't have quite the whole thing to say how God's love was, but they combined ahava with hesed. Hesed is a love that never, ever lets go. And it's God's love for us that is unselfish and unfailing. We translate chesed, loving kindness, a covenant love, steadfast love, everlasting love, mercy, okay? But really, his chesed is said to be, by Jewish, is untranslatable. By the Jewish scholars, you can't quite put your finger on it, but it's absolutely incredible. It's the love of God. That's what chesed is, mercy. We also get a model now of how to love one another. Uh, and, of course, we know, and I'm going to say this, the best evangelism that exists is lifestyle evangelism, how you're living and how you're living others, maybe not necessarily what's coming out of your mouth. Jesus said, by this all men will know you're my, dis my disciples. How? If you have your doctrine all straight? No, if you love one another. Paul writes, the little church in Corinth saying love suffers long. That means it puts up with a whole lot. And it's kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does, it does not rejoice in wickedness, iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is our model of love. And then we're going to talk about, so that's the way we're to love one another. That's the way you're, some of you, Joe, I'm not going to point to Joe. That's the way you're supposed to love your wife. There's about 19 guys in here looking, thinking, I wonder if I'm Joe. All right. We love our wives that way. We love our friends that way. We should love without a lot of expectation. Okay. That's then pure, clean, God-like kind of love. And lastly, I want to get back to Mount Moriah. I want to talk about God's love for man. This is the most, there are the most important 37 acres probably in the entire universe, and they are where Mount Moriah is. And those who have been to Israel know. Mount Moriah is the Temple Mount. Isn't that weird that the very place where Abraham took Isaac to offer his only son whom you love, following God's command, in Genesis 22:2, that God came with his only son whom he loved and he allowed cruel men to send him to the cross within eyesight of Mount Moriah. That is a mic drop, folks, because the first place that he shows his love, that love is mentioned in the Bible, is the same very place right there, the Temple Mount, where he chose to meet with mankind. God's love in Scripture is described as agape and hesed together. And it's so incredible because Romans 5.8 says that 
God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. To put it a different way, to read it from the Greek, God demonstrates his own agape toward us in that that's unselfish love in that while we were still sinners, even while we were yet sinners, it says in the old King James, it all started at Mount Moriah and that's where it all ends. It is glory. He said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. And then John tells us that God so agaped the world, if I can be ridiculous there. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the formula for salvation. Nothing else is added into it. Why? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's what God has to say about love. Scott, would you please pray? And then we're going to have uh, Michael and Wayne.